This is the Langpreneur podcast where each week we interview experts in the language learning industry who will show you how to turn your passion for languages into a profitable online business so that you can create an independent career doing something you love. I'm your host, Jan van der Aan. Hey everybody, my name is Jan, you're listening to the Langpreneur podcast. Thank you for being here again. We have another interview for you today, of course. And uh, yeah, I first wanted to thank you, I first wanted to say thank you to everybody who signed up for the mastermind retreat that we're going to do next year. Uh, Maybe you remember that last week I announced that we had to postpone the event that we had originally planned for this month. Things were getting too complicated, Now now there is also you know, quarantine is required from people who are flying back from Crete to the UK, I think also to the Netherlands and a few other countries. So yeah, I think we made the right decision there. Um, So we're now going to do the annual Langpreneur Mastermind Retreat next year in April, 25th to the 30th of April next year. And uh, yeah, I announced that on the podcast last week. And when I checked my phone, um, you know, last Friday in the evening, I basically saw that the event was already booked out. And, you know, now we even have a waiting list with quite a few people on it as well. So if you missed your chance, but you still would like to, you know, you like the idea of masterminding with all the like-minded Langpreneurs in an intimate setting, like these events are for 12 people max, um, in tropical locations all around Europe, well, we don't have so many tropical locations in Europe, but at least <laughs> excellent locations in the, the south of Europe. That's where we usually organize these events. And make sure to go to langpreneur.com forward slash mastermind. All the information is there. If you're interested, just send me an email, info at langpreneur.com. Send me a DM. We see if you're a right fit. Um, because this event is only for people who have a working business. Um yeah, then you can join the waiting list. And, you know, if we have enough people on the waiting list, we might actually run a second Mastermind retreat next year. So make sure to check it out. And thank you to everybody who signed up. Really looking forward to seeing all of you next year in April. Oli's going to be there as well. We're going to have a great time. Thanks. Now, for today, we, um, we have an interview with Jack Askew. And maybe you remember... You know, if you listen to last week's podcast interview, we interviewed Vanessa from Speak English with Vanessa, and she talked about the importance of having having a mentor, you know, having somebody who shows you the path. And um, she, Vanessa, got the help in the beginning from Jack Askew. So, you know, as I was listening to this interview, I was thinking, hey, why not reach out to Jack and ask if he wants to be on the show as well. And he agreed. So he's the guest on today's episode. And um, yeah, for people who don't know Jack, he, um, he runs two businesses. One is called Two Fluency. It's where he teaches English. Um, has a big YouTube channel, also quite a big following on Instagram. And then he runs a second business called Teaching ESL Online, where he helps... Um, well, well, where it helps people to build an online teaching business. So, yeah, you're going to like this episode. We're not just going to talk about teaching English, but also, you know, about the process of building building an online business, building a following, how to use Instagram, all that kind of stuff. 
Um, Jack is really good at marketing, so there is a lot of things to learn here. I'm going to talk about his background, how he fell into teaching languages or English, uh, specifically in Spain. I'm going to talk about short-term and long-term short-term and long-term strategies to find new students. Um, why calls to actions are so important. Uh, Jack is very big on Instagram. And uh, he's going to share some of the growth strategies that he has used for Instagram. Importance of making connections and doing collaborations with other well, other YouTubers, other Instagrammers, other people in our niche, other Langpreneurs. Yeah, we're also going to talk about you know, if you can really make a living from language teaching or, or not. So yeah, these are just some of the things that we're going to discuss. There's much more. So if you guys are ready, let's get started. Here's my interview with Jack. Hey Jack, welcome to the Langpreneur podcast. Tell the people who you are, a little bit about your background and what it is you do. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for having me here. So um, yeah, my name's Jack. Um, I either say Jack from Tofluency or Jack from Teaching ES Online. So that's, you know, how I open up my videos and Instagram stuff. Because I have uh, two main brands. One's geared towards English language learners and the other one to English language teachers, but really language teachers um, of any type of language. And I'm also exploring different avenues as well in, in that niche. But yeah, I've been teaching online um, since 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, through a company, something similar to italki. Then... Moved to Spain for a couple of years, taught English in Spain, did a lot of one-to-one and private lessons, and those private lessons were what I enjoyed the most. So then when I moved to the US, um, I continued doing them online, and then that's just gone into what I'm doing now, which is mainly online courses and lots of YouTube content. Yeah. So you have a, do you have a background in, in teaching? I mean, any degrees or, or not really? No, I fell into it. My degree was in economics. I did a lot of market. I actually did some marketing, which lends itself to what I'm doing now. Hmm. Um, but no, no real teaching. I always wanted to go and teach in Spain. Ever since I started university, I, someone I knew did it and um, just it looked so much fun to do. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to travel. So yeah, I went traveling for a while, but then Spain was really when I started to take it more seriously. Um, did some training and yeah, been here ever since. So how, how difficult or how easy is it for like a native English speaker like yourself to move to, to another country in Europe, for example, and find a job as a teacher? Is um, that easy? Do you need any, are they asking for certificates? I think what it depends the on, the, on the country. So in Spain, a lot of places are looking for a TEFL certification or a CELTA, something like that. It, they, from my experience, they don't, or they didn't used to mind where it came from. So mine was online and it was like an open book test. It was really difficult in the sense of it was intense, but it was still open book. Um, they look for that. They look for good scores. And then um, it's a little bit, what I remember about Spain is you go there and then you get a job. So they only really want to hire beginning of October. This might have changed because this was in 2009, but they want you to go out there, get settled, get an apartment and then find a job. So that, that was always a little bit nerve wracking, but 
yeah, I ended up finding a couple of couple of um, teaching places, firstly in Bilbao and then the second year in Valencia. Mm. So you moved to Spain in 2009. Um, were you considering to teach English online at the time or did you really want to have the experience of teaching English in a classroom in Spain? Well, yeah, I started teaching online um, first, but I wanted to get some experience and just just enjoy that, you know, face-to-face contact. It was still in its infancy back then, the, yeah. the online teaching. Um, yeah. I built up quite a good profile on this website that I was using, got some good students in, but my wife got a scholarship to teach in, in Spain. And then we, yeah, both decided to go there and had a great two years. Yeah. And what's like, when do you, was that a full-time job or part-time? Well, full-time in terms of teaching. So I think it was around 20 hours a week. Yeah. But I, before, I, before I went to Spain, I actually built a website um, promoting my private lessons. So okay. I actually had a couple of students lined up before I went there, and those paid really well. And if, if we had stayed in Bilbao for a second year, I probably would have just continued with the private lessons because um, they, they were much better in my, you know, my opinion. I was doing, um, the first year I was working in shipyards through this company. So I wasn't really in a language school. Yeah. So I was working in these massive shipyards teaching the, mainly the office staff and some of the directors there. And they were very flaky. So sometimes they turn up. One guy just made an excuse week after week after week. I taught him once in a year, but still had to show up in order to teach the class. And 10 minutes before I get a text and say he wasn't coming. Mm. Um, but the second year I taught in a language school and obviously that's a bit more intense where people are coming in and you're teaching every, every hour when you're there. Yeah. So one was it that you started teaching English online full-time? Full-time. It was, well, February, March of 2011. So like um, two years after you moved to Spain. Yeah. And I, thinking about it we moved to Spain in 2008 and then we had this I was waiting for my visa because I'd married American in that time mm-hmm. wait for the visa to move to the US and then we moved it was late 2010 I think and then that's when I started to just focus on private lessons because I wasn't sure what I was going to do when we got here we didn't even know where we yeah. were going to live we were mm. close to moving to New, New York and then we just decided to move to North Carolina Mm. so when you moved to the u.s did you already have enough students lined up or no you still have to go out and look for them no just went out built their website um it's called jda english back in the day mm-hmm. built that website created a i didn't know at the time but a landing page so people could sign up for the the trial lessons i think i had maybe one or two students left over from spain when i was teaching them online uh, in Valencia, but mainly it was new students coming in yeah. when when I first moved here. So the website worked from the beginning. Yeah, it worked great. Um, built it up probably two months before I got here, so I actually got it out there before. And I remember writing articles on things like Pass Simple, going through the rules, and then it it was number two in Google for Pass Simple rules. And that's when I got the bug of like, oh, right, this people might search for my website here. Yeah. And this, I could turn this into something. But 
mainly at the start is through um, classified postings. So I go onto classified websites in Spain, in different countries, and just say, I'm an online English teacher. Mm. Take a free trial lesson, click this link. They go to my website, fill out the form. We get on a trial lesson. And then I would, uh, you know, talk about paid lessons after we yeah. had the trial. But mainly classified postings and also a bit of uh, Google ads as well. Yeah. What do you mean by classified postings? Like on, on like a crack list or something, but then in, yeah. in Spain, a local one. Yes. Yeah, that was exactly. free or you paid for that? It was free. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, I knew the ones that people were using in Spain and I used those to get private lessons while I was living in Spain. Yeah. So I continued doing that. But then I did Craigslist in Rome and Craigslist in, uh, I think, Paris as well. Yeah. And different ah. Uh, around Europe mainly, but the, th- yeah. I was going to say as well. But the I've, the Google AdSense worked pretty well back then as well. So I was using those two mainly, and this was pre Facebook or Facebook in a way that people use it now. Pre Instagram, it wasn't around then. People, there were YouTube teachers out there, but it seemed very technical, and there was a big barrier to entry because I actually didn't get a smartphone for quite a long time. So I start to research YouTube and, you know, put that off for a couple of years because it was more intense. Yeah. So what were you, I mean, today you also help people to become online teachers. Would that strategy that you used back then, would it still work today? Or, yeah? Yeah, yeah definitely. So, yeah, I, I talk about that, um, you know, all the time on my website and elsewhere where those strategies still work really well. And I like to split them up into more of a short-term strategy and then a long-term one. So an example of a long-term one would be to build up a presence on YouTube, get subscribers, get your brand out there, get lots of videos out there, help people, and then students will start to roll in once you know you, you build that kind of brand. Yeah. Whereas short-term methods would be turn on ads. Today, you might have a couple of students request by tonight. without having to go through the whole branding of YouTube, creating lessons and all that kind of stuff. And I generally recommend people start with those shorter term methods because those are the ones that can get you students straight away. And then you get used to it and then you you understand what it's all about and get experience. Yeah. So there's there's basically two strategies, right? One is organic and slow and the Mm -hmm. other one is paid and is much faster. So, yeah, and, and the, it doesn't have to be paid either because it could just be go back to ex-students that you've taught, you know, in Croatia three years ago and just say, hey, I'm teaching online now. It might not be them, but they might refer you to a friend. Yeah. Uh, referrals are big as well. Classified mm-hmm. postings work too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did things like put flyers up in cities where they would go to my website and book private lessons from there. Um Yeah, there's a lot of things that you can do for that. But the key really is to have some kind of website landing page where people can easily take that action in order to take the initial step. Because a lot of teachers will create a website which looks good, looks fancy. It has all this information about lessons, but it's hard for the student to actually click a button and book something with, with the teacher. Yeah. So um, that's definitely the first step. 
What do you think about offering your services on platforms like iTalkie or Verbling? Is that too competitive or could it still be a good way to start? Well, yeah, pr practically it is too competitive right now because they've stopped. I know they stopped taking teachers on iTalkie because mm -hmm. of what's been happening in 2020. There's been a massive mm -hmm. supply of teachers who are saying, oh, I need to do this online thing. Yeah. But if you can manage to sign up for iTalkie, it's a great platform to use. Mm -hmm. uh, as a teacher it's it's not just a matter of build it and they'll come you have to use the platform get a good profile have a good uh, video introduction and just interact with people on the forums maybe take some language exchanges as well to build reviews up um, and just use a platform in a really good way and then you can also use things like classified postings maybe ads um, and other things to send students to that profile yeah. So you've, you've mentioned running ads quite a few times now. Can you give an example of how that could work? Are you talking about Google ads, Facebook ads, and like, how does it, how does it work? What kind of ads should we post? Book a lesson with me, click here, first give away a lead magnet. Like, could you give an example of something that works just to give our listeners some ideas on how to get more students or how to get started? Yeah, there are, there are lots of different campaigns that you can run. Um, I like to split it up into like a, a cold and a, a warm audience. So a cold audience is someone who doesn't know who you are at all. And you're just putting yourself out there to say whatever it is you're going to say to that person. So the message you put across there is a little bit different, but a warmer audience is somebody who might have been on your Facebook page, watched mm. a YouTube video, been on your website, already know, they already know who you are. And you're then just nudging them into taking the action you want them to take. So it depends how far along the journey you are with that. And there's a lot involved here, but you can also think about it in terms of getting your face out there to the cold audience in a way where you're just giving free content. And then they, that cold audience then becomes a warm audience and you can send a different message to that warm audience. Mm -hmm. But very, it, it's not like ads there's a lot of things that you need to get right in order for them to work well. Things like, again, going back to that initial page that people are going to go on when they first visit you. And if it's easy for them to take action, the kind of people you're targeting on Facebook or on YouTube or on Instagram. Cause I, I made the mistake of the first time I did ads, I just put it out worldwide, asked for the cheapest clicks, but those clicks came from countries where the students couldn't afford my lessons. Yeah. So I remember sitting in a cafe in Valencia and seeing trial lesson after trial lesson come in. <laughs> but when I took the trial lessons, they couldn't afford the lessons and they didn't have a credit card anyway to pay online. Yeah. Um, and I think we've all done something like that before. If you've done ads, you know, you put it out there and the audience isn't quite right. Um, but then you need to think also about the message you put out there in the ad, the kind of image or video you're going to use. The, the ones that have worked really well for me are when I have taken people who've watched a YouTube video or a Facebook video. So it works on both of those platforms. Retargeting ads. Yeah, retargeting. And then, hi, this is Jack from Tofluency. Yeah. Uh, download my book, The Five-Step Plan for English Fluency. And I've tested different videos and images copy and one for whatever reason 
It's not my favorite, but it just works the best. Yeah. And then they download my book. And this is going into depth here in terms of email marketing. But then, then they receives, receive a series of emails where I introduce myself a bit more, give them free content, and then I have an offer for my program. Yeah. Classical online marketing. Yeah. Um, but you need to have, I mean, if you want to do retargeting, you need to have a website or a YouTube channel, right? So, I mean, what would you recommend people to do when, when they want to get started? Like, should they start with a website or should they start, um, you know, with those listings or running ads? Like, you have a process for that or does it depend on the personality as well? Um, yeah, how do you go about that? I think the, so the easiest way for most people to get started and also you can think of it more as like a stepping stone. So you can start with one thing and then you can build on it. Mm. And the first thing I think is something like a Calendly. A, always get. Yeah, Calendly. Up. Yeah. Calendly. <laughs> doesn't roll off the tongue, does it? Yeah. Uh, but having one of those free calendars where people can reserve a time with you for a trial lesson. And you don't even need a website at this stage. You, you can use their URL and send them to your link, your personalized link. And then people can just book a time with you. And then that's when you can then send that link out to people who, old students, people you know, network, tell people on Facebook, you're now teaching, go check it out. They'll share it with their friends. Yeah. And that's just a very simple starting step. So then get a couple of trial lesson students in there, get some experience. And then you can start thinking, well, how can I optimize that? Can I put embed that calendar on a website that I can build using a simple website builder? And then from there, you know, you might be creating a membership course area where you're using WordPress and plugins and payment processes, but yeah. you don't need to worry about that at the start. You can just start with the easy step just to yeah. gain that in initial momentum yeah. and, and experience with students. Mm -hmm. Should people first focus on getting students or on building a platform or does it depend on the ambition and how much time and how much funds that the teacher yeah. has? What, when you say platform, do you mean like a personal website or? Yeah. I mean like a, like a following basically. So it could be a blog or a YouTube channel, maybe Instagram. Yeah. I think at the moment I'm, it depends on the teacher, but if somebody likes putting themselves out there, then I think Instagram is, is the best at the moment because the restrictions on Instagram make it easier to create. You're restricted by either a picture or a one minute video, mm -hmm. which means that you don't have to think about a complex YouTube video. Yeah. Instead, you can just talk into your phone. And then on top of that, you can use the stories feature which is a lot of fun and very interactive and people engage with it. Mm -hmm. So let's say you now have your calendar where people can book a trial lesson with you. Um, you can then take Instagram, put the URL in your profile yeah. as a link, create content on Instagram, and then build that following and tell people as a call to action to go book a trial with you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That, that's the easiest way to get started now. What, once you've exhausted the classified postings, the, the network to get on Instagram, it's the easiest one to use right now. And it's all in your phone. Maybe TikTok is up there too, but I haven't delved into that yet. 
and I probably won't. But yeah, Instagram for me is, is the best. So any, I mean, I, I like that strategy. Any tips on how people can build an audience on Instagram? Like specifically, you know, specifically look for people or build an audience of people, of people who are interested in languages? Um, is it a matter of using hashtags or just adding many other people? Start following other people oh, yeah. on Instagram or follow and follow. Yeah, follow and follow. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't recommend that. Um, I think that's against their terms, actually. But people do it. They'll do the follow and follow. But um, what, what something I like to do, um, or I recommend others do this as well, is you can share other teachers' posts in your stories. So this is a very simple way mm. to create content as well where you're not creating your own content. Instead, you can just go on Instagram, do a search, hashtag learn English. If there's a video you like or a post you like, click the share button, but then share to story. And then you mention that person in the story. And a lot of the time, and you don't need to worry about like, oh, have they not done it yet? This person hasn't shared it back. But a lot of the time, people will then share, this is complicated, yeah. but share your story into yeah, their yeah. story yeah. as a way to say thank you. So then you're getting out there to people. Um, and connections are, are key with all of this. Yeah. I found the, the fastest, the, when I grow the fastest, it's when I'm just connecting and collaborating. Yeah. Having the two brands has helped me with that because I can, I've featured teachers on the, the teaching side, but then... I've created these relationships and we're talking before, like with Ollie, with uh, Vanessa and Shana from Espresso English and Gabby, Go Natural English. Um, and lots of other people too, where they then just share my to fluency stuff on YouTube communities or on Instagram or on Facebook, just yeah. because we've built those connections. So I'd prefer not to see it as a strategy rather than just a long-term connection and just if you generally speaking if you help others and you share their stuff yeah people are going to share your stuff too yeah so the key is really to be helpful and to to be help, open to meet others and to cooperate with each other yeah and not to think of of it as too much of a strategy where you're doing it just so oh God, they're going to share my stuff too yeah how how can we stand out i mean there's so many especially english teachers you know, all around the world, how can we compete against all those other million guys out there on Instagram or, you know, in all the platforms on italki who want to get students? Um, I think the, the best way is just to, just to be yourself and teach in the way you want to teach because then you're going to attract the type of learners who will want to work with you. Mm -hmm. I think when... It can be a mistake if you try to stand out too much too soon and think of ways to really stand out. You know, how can I be different? How can I, how can I do this really well? And I did some of this when I first started with YouTube where I looked at other teachers' videos and thought, I can do this better in terms of production, in terms of editing. So... I'd got a, I got a really good camera, got all the audio, the lighting, editing software, and I spent about eight hours editing each video to make it snazzy and good. But what happens is it, that's not sustainable. So what you end up doing is 
you spend too much time, you make five videos, you don't get the kind of momentum you want. And then it's easy just to say, well, this isn't working. And that's another reason to use Instagram too, because just in terms of standing out as well, it, it also means just getting better and more confident in what you're doing. So after doing lots of Instagram videos and posts and stories, you're just going to naturally get better and you're going to learn what people like, what people enjoy, how people are going to connect with you. Yeah. And it's about that practice and experience. So I do like the easy to get started method for that reason too. Yeah. Um, you know, is it, is it really realistic to become an online teacher? Can you really make a good living on it? I mean, if you go to those platforms, you know, there's so many people who are doing this than, than less than, you know, I'm talking about the italkies and the verblings and so many people who are doing this for less than minimum wage in developed countries. Um, yeah. Can it be a, a full-time career or, or a part-time career and that pays the bills? Yeah. Um <laughs> I mean, there, there are a lot of variables. It, it depends on the, the person, um, how they execute, and just if they stay consistent with it. And there are, I think it's a, a good time to bring in like the different ways you can get paid as an online teacher as well, because there are some out there who are really just focused on YouTube monetization. They make YouTube videos, they get paid through AdSense, through sponsored videos and that's that's like 95 percent or more of their income mm -hmm. and what we've been talking a lot so far about is the one-to-one -one teaching yeah. teaching private lessons yeah. and then you can also do things like you can sell books so i'm sure ollie talked about how he has written all these books language learning books and yeah. what his plans are for that and then you have other people like um vanessa who's doing a recurring monthly subscription course yeah. and there are other ways as well affiliate links so you can sell other people's courses and get kickbacks for that using your affiliate link yeah so there are all these different ways of doing it now when it comes to private one-to-one -one lessons there, there is a ceiling for this in terms of how much you can get paid because you can only teach so many hours and unless you become a like a celebrity teacher teaching thousand dollar lessons or something there is going to be a ceiling on that now the ceiling for me i started off uh charging well in spain it was a little bit more but then when i started charging online teaching it was around my average lesson was around 23 dollars an hour mm -hmm. and then within two years i built that up to where my new students were paying 60 to 70 an hour and that was because i'd built up the demand for lessons people were referring me and I was also specializing in IELTS tuition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was helping people with a, a big need where people are willing to pay more for it because the outcome of that is going to be bigger. Yeah. So with all that in mind, you can think about what are my earning expectations? Am I somebody who's just looking to do this part time to bring in some extra money? Am I someone who's looking to do full-time teaching one-to-one -one lessons where it's going to maybe bring me in uh, a, a good income depending on where you live and living costs? Or when it comes to online courses and YouTube, there, there is no ceiling for that. This is where people have moved into. And it's something that I moved in, into in, well, full-time 2015, January. That's when I stopped 
teaching one-to-one lessons and focus solely on courses. Yeah. Um, and that's where most people are going to, to make the, the type of money which, which is more than uh, your teaching salary, let's yeah. say. Yeah, but they need to have a following, right? I mean, yes, you can write books and, you know, membership, make money off AdSense, but you need to build a following. So, okay. so you definitely recommend to, you know, to work on, on a platform to start building an audience as soon as you start teaching as a, as a backup plan, but also as a foundation for the future business. Yeah, because I had no idea I was going to do what I would, what I'm doing now. I fell into teaching. I started to do the, the one-to-one, um, online business teaching lessons. And I had no idea that I was going to have a YouTube channel and sell courses like I do now. Um, but as you say, yeah, the following, you need a much bigger following to make courses work than you do one-to-one teaching. Mm -hmm. You don't even need a following for one-to-one teaching because Again, you can just use things like ads, classified postings and referrals, and that's all you're ever going to need. You don't need to create lots and lots of content. Mm-hmm. Um, in most cases, doing something like Instagram will help you get there quicker. Yeah. But you, there are teachers who aren't doing that, and I didn't used to do that. Mm-hmm. And then, but if you want to build those courses and to have more of that passive income, then that's where the following comes in. Yeah. Uh, my journey was a little bit of, I started to see other people do this. Um, I saw people like Pat Flynn back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, talking about the passive income and everyone's eyes light up when they, they see the numbers he was talking about and what he was doing and everyone got really excited. Also the, the guys at Fizzle as well, mm-hmm. where they talked about online courses. Uh, that's where I got the bug for it. Um, and then in 2014, I put a couple of test courses out there because I'd been building up my email list to about a thousand students over that time while still working one-to-one. I reduced my hours slightly, but I was, I was thinking of it more like 80-20. So 80% of the time I was teaching and then 20% of the time I was then looking to build something for the future. And then that got more like 70-30, 50-50, and then zero, a hundred. Mm, yeah. But really it was interesting. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. I guess all of it just came about because I had the, the goal in mind in 2014 to create these courses or 2013, sorry. And then I thought about wh- how I was going to get there. And I knew an audience was important for that. And everyone was talking about the importance of the email list. That's why I started in 2013. And then, um, yeah, that's, that's obviously grown over the years and yeah. using YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, my website to build that email list. Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, now that you're talking about a transition that you went through, because my next question was going to be when, when is the right time to start selling courses? There's so many teachers out there who have been teaching for a long time. They're just sick of it. They want to quit and they want to make passive income. So they say, Mm -hmm. you know what, I'm going to stop with all of this and I'm just going to sell online courses but they don't have an audience yet. So my mm. question was going to be, how do you, when is the right time to start selling courses? But I think the example that you, that you just shared with us, like the way you did it, it was a very graduate, uh, yeah. graduate process. Yeah. But my first course as well, uh, it was, it was on a platform called WizIQ and they, 
at the time I was really like close with um, Fluency MC, Jason mm-hmm. Levine, and a lot of other teachers, Sylvia, um, I can't remember, like we were really close for a while and he brought us onto the WizIQ platform because he had some kind of uh, relationship with them. And they said, we're trying to, we're trying to build our student base for English language learners. So we want you to teach a course with us and we'll promote it. So then I had a deadline. I thought, okay, I'm going to teach a course at this date. But I didn't actually write out the materials until people bought the course. Mm-hmm. So I pre-sold it. It was in March of 2014. And enough people signed up for me to think, all right, this is actually going to be a thing. So it was a six-week course where I recorded the lessons live. They came onto the platform live. It was also um, recorded so they could watch it later. And then they kept those materials. And I didn't actually write out the slides and think about it until people bought it. Yeah. So that took like a very low risk way in order to to start a course. And then once I had that validation, yeah. I took that six-week course and made it into something else and put it onto the Tefluency website. Yeah. And then since then, it's been adapted, changed, rewritten. And yeah, um, yeah this actually this fall and winter, I'm really going to focus on new courses coming up. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, you, you learn a lot as you go as well. So when you start building your email list, you don't, you don't know what you're going to send, like what kind of emails you're going to send out. And then, but then you send out your first one and you just gauge it, you get feedback from it. And then you create your first course or some kind of paid product, maybe an ebook, you know, and then you just gauge what the response is. And it gives you that experience again of going through this process without saying, all right, I'm going to go all in on this course, build it out completely perfectly, and then release it to a massive email list yeah. And then I'm going to just go from there. Whereas, you know, a lot of the time it, it, it makes more sense to ease into it, especially if you've got a busy teaching schedule and you want to give, give up teaching, let's say, instead of just stopping and then doing the next thing, you can ease into it. And I know a lot of teachers who have done it the exact same thing. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned that because there is a lot of, I mean, the big risk for, well, like a language enthusiast, like many of us are creative and we think we have the best methods and we want to, you know, we have this idea for a course. We want to create the best course in the world. So, you know, what oftentimes happens is that people spend months, sometimes even years on their course. And then by the time they want to launch it, they find out that, well, they either don't have an audience or the audience is not really interested in their course. So what you're, t- what you're saying here is first sell it and only then create it. And that's, I think that idea scares off a lot of people but yeah, I do agree that it is the right thing to do, right? First validation, and then only then you start putting in the work. Um, so do, is that still your strategy that you use these days? Um, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I actually wrote a course recently on email marketing and I put it out, you know, at a lower price point to begin with. Um, just to, again, to validate the idea. I think that the more experience you get with it, though, the more your intuition comes into play and you, you know what's going to sell and what's not going to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the course I create for online teachers, that was after the Tefluency course. And my intuition just said, okay, I think, I think with this one, I can build it out mm-hmm. and then sell it at a good price point. And yeah. then I think this is going to work. But then again, if it hadn't worked, like nothing's lost. 
you gain so much from it. And if you, if you try and maximize it too much and think time spent on it versus results, then you're just going to be paralyzed by all that analysis. So I think there's some balance there. And sometimes you can go with your intuition and pour your heart into it, but then just know that, you know, maybe you didn't execute on the launch. Maybe your email list wasn't big enough. Maybe the right people weren't on your email list. Again, maybe you built your email list from countries where people are never going to buy. Um, so there, there are many different factors that go into it. But I think generally speaking, just taking action with it and putting stuff out there will, will help you build the knowledge and the experience and that intuition to know what's going to work and what's not. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how you went from teaching English to teaching other people how to become an online teacher. Like when was the moment for you when you thought, well, I know how it works, business is going well, let me start teaching others how to do this? Yeah, 2013, May. Um, that's when I started to connect with people on Facebook and that's when I made so many different teaching contacts and I actually reached out to a lot of teachers who were doing this and talked about how they were successful, what they did to get students. And then also the people who were thinking about doing it. Um, and yeah, it was just exciting for me to do at the time um, to write about, to document my journey in a way, but then to help people do the same thing through the blog post. So I wrote, I think it was a blog post every week. It might have been every two weeks. I think it was every week. And then I created a free ebook on the basics of getting started. Mm-hmm. And it was a very simple strategy where I write the blog post, post it. And then it was a time on Facebook when links to your website or to your YouTube channel, it, was, it went crazy. <laughs> Whereas now, you know, if you post a link to your website or your podcast episode, the algorithm says, no, 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 we don't want this content. We want to have your video on the Facebook platform or a post on the Facebook platform. But back then I'd share a post on Facebook and then share it with like the um, British council with different language teaching groups. And it would just get thousands upon thousands of views. And then a percentage of those would then download the ebook and I'd have an email list. And then every week I just send out, new article on the website, you know, this is what we're going to talk about. Obviously not as simple as that, but enticing people to click the link and then just build up over that. So I think by the time I launched the course a year later, I think I had about 1,500 people on the, on the email list. Yeah. Um, when, when I launched it, it was about a year later or 18 months later. Yeah. Were you publishing the articles on, you know, where you wrote about how to start an online teaching business on that same website or did you start a separate website for that? Separate website. Okay. Yeah. Teachingeslonline.com. Yeah. So for our listeners, if you want to learn more about Jack's work, that's where you can learn more. Um, let's, uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about, um, about how you went about building that business, because how do you divide your time? I mean, you, you have, as far as I understand, two businesses today. Are you still working on both every single day or how do you divide your time? Yeah, good question. It's, it's always been a little bit of a struggle <laughs> in terms of, because there are two different mindsets. And when I go onto Instagram, I'm, I'm logged in as to fluency, then I can change over to teaching 
it, I think it's at teaching online on Instagram and then get into that mindset and to, to give a video on that. And in my head, I'm also thinking about, well, I can't really make a video on Instagram in the same place for language learners, <laughs> switch over and then do it for language teachers. Cause I get a lot of people who follow both platforms. So I'm in my head a little bit about that too much. I should just, you know, create the content and don't, don't care. Um, there's a guy who I follow called um, Casey and he does, he's got vegetable police and then also camera conspiracies. I don't know if you know him. He's a YouTuber. No, we will have a link in there in the show notes. Yeah. The, the reason I bring it up, he, he's like a, he's, I see him as a comedian, but then he lets his comedy out through either talking about food or talking about cameras. But he has these two YouTube channels. But he, he just more or less does the same thing for one channel and the same thing for the other, but it's just a different topic. And that's, that's made me think more about like what I should be doing is focusing more as me as a person and just be myself again, like we talked about before, just putting the content out for both. But, um, but yeah, in terms of like dividing my day up, it just depends. Like I have certain goals like, I create a lot more content for to fluency than teaching online. So I'm on Instagram more. I make more YouTube videos. Um, I have a l many more subscribers for the to fluency channel as well than teaching online. And the teaching online one is something where I'm going to pivot a little bit more into just talking about mainly social media, email marketing, um, content creation in general for for any kind of business. Mm. So that, that's going to be a bit of a pivot that's, that's taken, it's probably going to take a year to, to fully pivot. And I'll still have, you know, I'll still create content for language teachers, but I see myself doing more of that general mm. online marketing stuff. Mm. Why, why is that? Do you think that the niche, like the language niche or the online te language teaching niche is too small? Or? Not that it's too small. Um, I just enjoy talking about it in general. Mm. So I, I meet up with a lot of my friends who have businesses in Asheville um, where I live and we talk online business, but they have different, you know, they're in real estate or they're in, you know, I have friends who are attorneys that I help. I've got friends who do lots of different stuff, um, online tea businesses. And we just talk like online business and I like to help people out in that way. Yeah. And I just feel like I like the topic and then to just to speak with people from lots of different niches mm. instead of focusing on the topic on one niche, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but that, that's something that, again, if I overthink it and try to think about branding, then you, you do get paralyzed by it all. Whereas I'm just trying to let that evolve naturally yeah. over time. Um, and the way I'm going to do it is firstly, actually create courses um, for these different topics and then just take it from there. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Does that mean that you have to build a new audience? Because so far as I, if I understand correctly, you've mainly been focusing on, um, well, creating free content for online teachers, building an audience in that niche. Does that mean that now you have to start creating new content so that you can reach a wider audience or? Yeah. Um, yeah, another way I'm doing that as well is just talking about these things generally on YouTube. So the YouTube channel, Teaching Us Online, just talking about, you know, Instagram, new features they're introducing. And just 
generally speaking, the, the content I'm creating now is a little bit more general in that sense. But because my niche has been online marketing for online teachers, yeah. the content I'm creating is still the same in essence. Yeah. But the message and the examples I'm giving are a little bit more broad in that regard. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. Would you say that the principles or well, the strategy, like the systems that you need for an online language business or an online teaching business are the same in other niches? Is this just something like that once you understand it for this niche, you can just do it for the niches as well? In certain ways, but when you think about an attorney, they don't need to be Instagram story telling you know creating those like 50 pieces of content instead if they focus on google reviews Hmm. and that google page and yelp then they've cracked it yeah you know so and then getting just high up in the the map search for when it comes to that so what you focus on changes but if we're talking about teaching teaching online in general and that's something my focus is more on it's more on like online teaching becoming a teacher no matter what it is you're teaching okay that then those principles are exactly the same yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so let's summarize the interview a bit because most of our listeners are language teachers um they either teach in person maybe they are already doing it online and they want to grow their business like do you what are some of the most important things in your opinion for somebody who wants to become a successful who wants to build a successful online language business yeah um i i really like short and long-term goals so let's say you're teaching one-to-one right now a a short-term goal let's say over the next six months that doesn't sound that short but you know over the next six months is to get a full-time schedule mm-hmm. with those students And then that is your focus. That's exactly what you're focusing on. You've got a deadline, so then you're not making those excuses to put stuff off. And then then you can just say, okay, what do I need to do in order to reach that goal? And it just gives you that that focus and the direction in order to to really do what's important. Because if you don't have that initial goal, then you're just going to be, oh, they said email list. Oh, they said this. They said that. YouTube, Instagram, and you just get overwhelmed and you're just doing things for the sake of doing them. Mm. Whereas if you're focused on one-to-one lessons, then what you can do is then go back to what we talked about before, get that calendar set up, yeah. make sure it's working really well, work on the stuff that are going to bring you students right now. And then in the background, start creating that Instagram content to build the audience. Yeah. And then you can think about your long-term goals as well, which could mean online courses. It could mean selling digital products and you don't have to be as as specific with those ones but just know there are things that you could be doing now in order to make those goals achievable within a year or two years yeah. which are things like email lists yeah instagram account or youtube account or facebook account or yeah. all three so when is the right moment to launch your first course, like how many people do you need to have on your list? Do you think there's a minimum? Do you, what do you recommend? Like, do you need 500 people on your list? A thousand? Yeah. Do you think? I, I a think I think 500. I think 500 is a good number. Yeah. Uh, you, you can launch less than that with fewer fewer people. Mm-hmm. Um, it it depends what you're launching. Yeah. You know, again, if it's a if it's like a, a ten dollar ebook that you can put together quite quickly, but 
still give really good value, then yeah, launch it to the 20 people on your list and see if someone buys it, mm. you know? Um, but generally speaking, I think the 500 number is a good one. Almost the last question. What is the biggest mistake that you see most what we call lengtheners make? They def- definitely, they set their website up for browsing and not taking action. So they'll create a website. It's fancy, looks good. It's got the sliders coming in, but then there's no button to click in order to take action, to, to book a private lesson, to book a trial lesson, to download something and join the email list. Yeah. What, if you just set your website up, that, that's the number one thing you want people to do. And then you can create your website in order to make people do that. Yeah. Which again, just that Calendly link, there's nothing else to do. You go on that and you either click book meeting or you don't. Yeah. And that's the, the essence of a landing page to make... It's either a decision to take action or to leave the website. Yeah. What do you do during that, um, that, that trial lesson? Like, how does it go? You just teach them for free. And then in the end, you say, by the way, if you want more lessons, then uh, I have a few packages for you. Like, how do you make that transition from teaching to selling? Um, I, I like to try and to do that within the trial lesson. So it's firstly, you know, make sure they feel comfortable. I just ask a few questions. Um, I, I used to like to ask questions where I'd build, build up the confidence because it's just true in life. You know, you want someone to feel confident about what they're doing. If you make it too hard for them, then it's no fun. So build up the confidence with some questions where they can express themselves easily. But then also introduce something that you think might be challenging for them and then give them a mini lesson. So with Russian students, it was always a present perfect because Russian students find that difficult. Yeah. And then you, you then talk about it, give a mini lesson on it. And then you can start entering the conversation about what would you like to do moving forward? Mm-hmm. Um, but it also depends on the person who found you, because if it's come from a referral, then they're already ready there to, to you know, just to make sure it's okay for them. Whereas if they've come from a, an advertisement then you do need to nurture that a little bit more because they're very apprehensive about this stranger who yeah. haven't, hasn't been recommended to them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I like to, to have fun, give a good, like teach something so you can show your value. But then obviously it's, it's about getting that long-term relationship with the student. So introduce it at the end, not too much pressure, but you can also send up a follow-up email or two after the fact too. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. Well, a lot of good tips here for you guys. So if you are interested in what Jack has to offer, Jack, where can the people go and what do you have to offer? Um, yeah, I have like a free mini course on how to teach online. If they go to teachingesonline.com, there is a, this is where I've set it up for taking action. The first yeah. thing to do is to, to go on that. Yeah. And then you can check out the teaching work on um if you search for to fluency, T-O, and then fluency on YouTube and on Instagram, Facebook, you'll be able to find the, the lessons that I create there. Thank you, Jack. We're all going to check it out. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Want to learn how you can grow your language business or maybe meet us at one of our upcoming events? Then go to our website, langpreneur.com. Thanks for listening and see you in the next episode.